You know, I, I made the comment at the, uh, in the first service that all of a sudden it feels like summer. Like instantaneously we lose 30% of our attendance. As, you know, the sun, the sun comes out and people head for the mountains or whatever. So um, anyway, don't do that. Okay. Actually, I'm going to Arkansas tomorrow. Robin and I are going to go down and see our grandkids. One of them has a birthday on the following week, and so we're going to be down in Arkansas for a little bit. Looking forward to that. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you'd watch over us today and in the coming days. Watch over the Asen family with the loss of Delmer. Pray, Father, too, that you'd bless us that we might serve and honor you as a church family. Help us to be fully devoted to you. And Father, this morning as we uh, look at your mission for us, we pray that you would bless us with our thoughts in this. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. You might want to turn to Luke 24. We're going to be there in just a second. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is about why the church exists, why the kingdom of God um, has this thing called the church as its witness. And it's interesting, when, you, when I was a young Christian, if you were to ask me why Jesus died, I would definitely say, I would have said, well, because uh, I'm sinful and Jesus loves me and he wants me to, to be in heaven with him. He wants me to have a relationship with him and to be in heaven with him. And it was really quite a personal thing and quite individualistic. Um, and so when we talk about atonement theory, like what is it that Jesus was doing on the cross and what is the atonement all about, we would be thinking of the personal response that we make to Christ and our personal salvation and being in heaven with the Lord forever. And the fact is, is that if I ask you to reflect on your own past, most of you, and just ask the question, why is it that Jesus died for you? It would be something like that, uh, that Jesus died for me so I could be in heaven. And that's significant for sure. Uh, It's huge, absolutely it's huge. But I've done a lot of thinking, and in fact Christianity has done a lot of thinking in recent years, just about what it is that Jesus was trying to get accomplished. And it would seem as though there was a lot bigger agenda on Jesus' mind than just the individual salvation of believers. And he, he certainly wants the individual salvation of believers. But I think the notion of the kingdom of God especially, as the kingdom is brought into our world and we have a chance to live out life in that kingdom, that something maybe even bigger or at least different is on God's mind as he, in fact, creates the church and calls us to be in this fellowship along with him through his Holy Spirit. Yeah, so, so the mission of the church seems to be different than just your and my individual salvation. I guess that's a way to put it as well. 
So I want you to look at Luke 24. And in verse 44, Jesus is talking um, to his disciples to whom he has appeared just before his ascension. And this, this is parallel. We'll look at this in a second. This is paralleled by Acts chapter 1. But here at the end of Luke chapter 24, Jesus said, said, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now that in itself is a very direction-oriented statement. That the Psalms, the prophets, essentially the Old Testament, is pointing in a certain direction and giving us reason for what it is that Jesus was trying to accomplish. He's trying to accomplish something, and everything about him and what he's trying to get accomplished, he says, has been written about in the Psalms and the prophets and the law. All of that is needs to be fulfilled. And then he says, or then it says, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So repentance and forgiveness is going to be preached, he says, to all the nations. And then he specifically says to these guys, but I think by implication to us as well, and you are my witnesses of this. And so there is a, whatever witness means, the whole, the whole experience of God's people witnessing to God and to what Jesus is doing here is what we are about. And the, the, the big picture witness, I think, goes beyond just a witness about Jesus dying on the cross for my personal salvation. Now that's certainly included. In fact, this says repentance and forgiveness of sins are going to be preached to all the nations. So that's definitely, you could say, one of those core elements of what's being talked about here. But whatever way God had a plan for what Jesus was going to do, that's what he wants to have happen. Jesus has a plan Thanks, Brucey. Jesus has a plan, not just for you and me personally, but for the whole of creation. And we are to give witness to what it is that God is doing in all of creation. It's like when Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that all creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth, waiting for the end when what is coming will be revealed. And we are witnesses not just to the fact that we're going to go to heaven, but we're witnesses to the fact that God is doing something in Jesus to bring about this new creation of of all of creation. Something new is going to happen here, and we're going to be witnesses to that as well. Now, all of that is kind of confirmed and fleshed out in Acts chapter 1. So if you turn to Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, This is the same context as the end of Luke 24, and that's because it's the same author. 
He's just transitioning kind of from one book to the other, but it's the same author. And he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do, to teach, uh, to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and made many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now that's interesting because when repentance and forgiveness is preached, we tend to think of that individualistically. But if Jesus is talking to them about the kingdom of God, that is bigger than just my individual salvation. Uh, quite a bit bigger, I would say. And it's Christ's desire that the kingdom of God be brought into the world, elements of the kingdom be brought into the world, that the influences and the impact, the characteristics of the kingdom be brought into this world. And as it turns out, we are still witnesses. They're still witnesses and we are still witnesses called to give evidence for what Christ is doing in his kingdom. On one occasion, verse 4 says, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is going to come. Being baptized by water is directly related to the notion of repentance and forgiveness. We could see that, like in Matthew chapter 3, when John the Baptist is preaching, he preaches something that is forgiveness for forgiveness and repentance, or for repentance and forgiveness. Any way you want to say that there. That's what the baptism is all about. But here, Jesus makes a contrast between that and what's really going to come. And he says the Holy Spirit's going to come. And again, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit into the world is not just for the individual. The Holy Spirit certainly comes into the life of individuals and indwells them, And so something wonderful happens with the Holy Spirit in that way. But the Holy Spirit doesn't come just to indwell you and me. Again, I would say that the Holy Spirit has a bigger plan here. That the Spirit is working to renew all of creation for the reality or the presence or the fullness of the kingdom of God that God wants to be here for us. Um... So the Holy Spirit is definitely right at the heart of what Jesus is wanting to do with the kingdom. And all of this has to do with kingdom and all of this has to do with Holy Spirit. Look at verse six. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Of course, they have a completely different notion of what it is for the kingdom to be restored. They're thinking in terms of Israel and Israel only and Israel being uh, the conquering people on the earth. Now, I also think they had maybe an inkling that God desired to renew all creation as well. So while they're looking at this from the Jewish perspective and thinking that it's the Jews who are going to receive all of this and they're going to kind of rule the world, I do think that they also have a notion of the world being renewed. And maybe in that way, the Jews had a little bit clearer perspective even in terms of what the kingdom would ultimately be than even what we do when we're just thinking in terms of our individual salvation. So they had that kind of kingdom eyes and not just personal salvation eyes. He said to them in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority, 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there is this kind of big picture renewal that is going to take place that is centered on the kingdom and all that the kingdom means. And then we are called, he says, to be witnesses of what God is doing, I think, in, a, in all of creation to renew it through the presence of his kingdom. Does that include the promise of forgiveness of sins and uh, repentance and all that goes along with that? Absolutely. But I think that the picture here of what's going to happen, what God intends for all of his creation, is bigger than just my personal salvation. Okay? Now, all of that is very important because it has great ramifications for our witnessing. And in fact, it has huge ramifications for what we are to be focused on at all as Christians. If I'm focused on my personal salvation, tell me the kind of things that are going to be kind of front and center for me as a person who is focused on my personal salvation. Okay, studying the scriptures for sure. I'm going to want to have a, a personal devotional life, which is obviously a very good thing. Okay, for us to read the Bible and, and be one with God, that's absolutely wonderful. I agree. What else is going to be of personal concern for me? My family, okay? I want them to experience the same kind of thing that I'm experiencing. What else? What's that? Okay, prayer, oneness, the disciplines, those things are going to be on my heart as well. So I'm going to I'm going to focus on my, you know, my own personal reading of the Bible and those kind of things. Carrie? What I get out of church and what I bring to church personally. Okay, sure. We come here and I want to get something out of this. I want to grow personally. And in fact, I want to have some kind of ministry in all of this. I want to have a chance to serve and and be part of something for sure. Okay? Well, here, here, here are a couple of other things that I think we oftentimes think about. One is, am I going to lose this? And if I'm going to lose this, how would I lose this? And so we might be very concerned about our own personal ethical lives. The New Testament's very clear that the person who comes to Christ has a certain kind of lifestyle that we're to live. He doesn't want us to be sexually immoral. He doesn't want us to steal and to lie and to be uh, in a kind of strife-filled, malice-filled relationship with those around us. And so the whole notion of personal ethics is very much a concern for those who are um, interested in their personal relationship with Jesus. That's for sure. Now what might not come as readily to mind is the fact that mission itself is right at the core of what God wants for us as individuals. He does want us to share the good news about Jesus, that's for sure. But almost always when we talk about the mission of the church, we talk about it as one of those things that the church does. It's like we as Christians are a body of Christ and so one of the things we're going to do is really focus on Christian unity. One of the things we're going to do is focus on Christian holiness. We're going to focus on Christian spirituality. We're going to focus on um, 
Um, what else? Peace. Um, like my own personal sense of peace and satisfaction. Uh, if I ask what the church is for, we might say so that we can encourage one another and bless one another. And all of those things are true. But what happens so often is that in our minds, the mission of the church to reach the world for Jesus Christ and the impact of the kingdom in our world is an add-on kind of thing. We are the church, and then the church has a mission. In addition to the church um, wanting to be ethical and the church wanting to be um, worshiping well and those kind of things. Like, we have all these different roles that the church is to play, and one of those roles is that we also have a mission to the world. And what I'm wondering about this morning is if instead of having all of these different roles that we play, including having a mission to the world, I'm wondering if maybe the real focus is the mission to the world. That Jesus himself is far more concerned about the mission that we as Christians have to the world than he is just about our own personal salvation. Again, does he want us to be in relationship with him and have personal salvation? Of course. But we don't typically identify the church. If I said, what is the church? We don't typically say a, missioning, a missional community. We might say the people of God, the people who are saved, the people who believe. We would identify ourselves in those ways. The people who are trying to be obedient. The people who are good. But we don't automatically say the church is the missional people. And I wonder if that's maybe an oversight on our parts. David, go ahead. Question, when you talk about a missional community, <laughs> are you talking about something in all parts of the world does things just exactly as we do or what do you mean by a missional community? Okay. No, I mean a group of people who are, well, I'm going to define this in a moment, but basically a group of people who have for, at the forefront of their thinking bringing the impact of the kingdom of God into our world and seeing our world changed by the presence of the kingdom and the king. And again, which can't be separated at all because Luke 24 and Acts 1 certainly don't separate the Holy Spirit from this missional people. And so in many ways you could say it's the Holy Spirit driving a people to bring the presence of God into our world. Now I think, a, I, I, I kind of hesitate to say this because you'll take me wrongly, I think a side light to that or a side element of that is that you and I get to receive personal salvation. Like I think our personal salvation is a, a, an outcome, a ramification of the church's mission given to it by God rather than the mission being the outcome and the ramifications of you and I being saved. Normally, we're saved and because we're saved and Jesus saved us, then we feel like we have a mission to the rest of the world to save them too for Christ. And what I'm saying this morning is I think that God has given us a mission 
and made us a missional people and that part of that being missional, bringing the kingdom and his influence and impact into our world, one of the impacts of that is that we get to receive salvation. We receive the goodness of Jesus on the cross where he saves us as part of his mission to completely transform all of creation. So if you ask me, why did Jesus come? Well, we know that he came to seek and save the lost. There's no question about that. But I wonder if maybe standing above the notion of him coming to seek and save the lost is the idea of him coming to completely transform and renew all of his creation. And that part of that is that he comes to seek and save the lost. And that changes, I think, that kind of tweaking that perspective a little bit, changes the role that you and I have. In fact, it can change our self-perception. Who are we? Rather than saying, I am the saved, what if I define myself as a witness first? What if I said, my first identity in God is that he has made me a witness to him in our world. That's a different identifying point than if I just say, I'm one of the saved. One who is saved has at least the capacity to be saved and kind of rest. A witness, if that's primarily how we identify ourselves, is not in the position of resting. A witness is in the position of witnessing. Okay. Hope. Thanks. So I want to talk a few words about Missio Dei. The, the expression Missio Dei obviously is Latin. It stands for the mission of God. And the idea is that God himself is missional. That God himself wants to do something in humankind's history in his creation, and that he does so by sending, in fact, sending himself. So if you think about the Trinity for a moment, you think of the three persons that comprise God. There's Jesus and the Spirit who do what? Like, what is the role of the Spirit and the Son? Well, they are sent, and like the Gospel of John, over and over again, Jesus says, the Father sent me, the Father sent me, the Father sent me. I've been sent by my Father. It's just a, a very common term in the Gospel of John especially, that God has sent his Son into the world. So the Son is sent into the world. The Holy Spirit, too, is sent into the world. And so a, a major identifying mark with these two persons Son and Spirit is that they are sent. And they are, of course, sent by the Father. And so who is God within himself? Well, he is ascending God. He has it right at the core of his nature that he sends himself out into the world on behalf of his creation, which means that God is right at his very nature missional. He's loving, he's gracious, he's saving, he's all of that. But when he sends Jesus into the world, 
sends the Spirit into the world, he's doing that because he's a missional God. He has a mission that he's trying to get accomplished, and that mission has to do with the kingdom becoming a reality for all of his creation. So, missio dei is the, the phrase that has been coined, mission of God, to describe this part of who God is, the sending God who wants to see his creation share in and exemplify all the elements of the kingdom. Okay, next slide. Let's define this a little bit. We must move, I think, with the notion of Missio Dei, we must move beyond just a select few having and teaching a missional attitude to discipling a missional attitude and lifestyle within the life of the average church member so that this becomes the ethos of our churches. Now somebody tell me what the word ethos means. What is that? Okay. Good tries. Okay. Like if I say, oh, they, you know, uh, they have a certain ethos. Okay. Okay, maybe the spirit of the organization. That would be a way to say it. Okay? The spirit of the organization. They have a certain character about them. You know, if I say Steve Ason has a certain ethos about him, well, I'd like to think that Steve's ethos would be one of a shepherd, one of kindness, one of gentleness, one of spirituality, one of grace, one of love. So that people looked at Steve and they said, this is who he is. That's his ethos, that's his style. Well, I think, I think that we're supposed to have a certain ethos as our church. And this is interesting because if you were to go back, say, uh, 75 years in the churches of Christ and ask about their ethos, what did churches of Christ stand for? And there are certain words that would come to mind. Like we would say, truth. Or we might say, um, biblical. We might say obedient. Um, those are all very positive words. There are some people who might say eh, a little rigid. Sometimes I think we've been perhaps a little bit rigid. Um, but we wouldn't necessarily have the first word that comes to mind for our ethos be missional. In fact, we have called ourselves, like the past, Churches of Christ have been part of what we call the restoration movement. Well, what's the ethos of a restoration movement? We are restorative. We look back to the first century and ask, what is the church doing in the first century and how can we replicate that? And so we're a replicating, restoring kind of people which tends to make us a backward-looking kind of people, an historical people. And again, that's not pejorative. That's, that can be very positive. We look back, perhaps, to look forward. But we look back into our history to try and restore the church and be the certain, a certain kind of church that we see in the New Testament. But if we somehow miss this notion of being missional, which might be at the center of what the New Testament church is all about, then we have the potential to become simply other than this, what the church was to be in terms of its center in the New Testament. So being restorative can be very positive. But I don't know if it's the heart of what God himself is when you ask what God is all about. 
Like God is not first restorative. If we want to pattern ourselves after who God is, God is not first restorative. God, I would say, is maybe first missional in that right in his own character, he is sending out his son and his spirit into all of creation in order to transform all of creation and bring them to be what God wants them to be. So if God has that right at the center of who he is, and that's his central concern for all of creation, then it just makes sense that that would be our central concern for all of creation as well. And so maybe our ethos, while there certainly can be something positive about trying to restore the early church, if our ethos was instead of trying to restore, was to be bringing the kingdom into our world as a missional people, we might find our ethos then to be more in line with who God himself is as he is so concerned to bring the kingdom into our world. And again, sometimes we've had this, but we kind of have expected that there'd be certain people in our churches who would have this attitude. And so maybe the ministry staff would have that or the missionaries that we send out, they're the ones who are really doing this But it's not necessarily for all of us to have this kind of missional attitude. And so we say things like, well, I'm not really gifted in that way. And I understand that we're not all gifted in terms of talking to other people about Jesus and, you know, the evangelistic task or something. Not all all of us are gifted in that way. But I'm not sure if that giftedness is what we're really talking about. Instead, we're talking about an attitude of bringing God's presence and impact uh, into our world. Carrie, you had your hand up. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, if this just becomes another means of us trying to save ourselves, that's definitely a mistake. And like if we did this just for the sake of obedience, for example, that would be a mistake. We do want to be obedient, of course, in the same way that, you know, when one repents and is baptized in the name of Jesus, that's a step of obedience. And so that's wonderful that we're being obedient in that way. But I certainly don't want that to be the end where somebody says, well, the reason I was baptized is because I wanted to obey God. We want to be baptized because we want to be in fellowship with God, because we love God, because he loves us, because there's relationship there, because because we become a new creation. All of that is really the reason. It's not just mere obedience by itself. Obedience is definitely good. That's part of the picture. 
But if we just said, well, the only reason we ever do anything is because we're obedient, we miss out on maturity in terms of what that relationship is really calling us to. Um, so yeah, certainly if, if mission here just becomes something that we do because uh, out of obedience and certainly just because we think somehow this is going to save us, that would be a, a major mistake. It's drastically different than that. Okay, hope we went backwards there. We didn't? Okay. Are you on to the next slide then? Is that what it is? Okay, perfect. So here's some things I want you to know about missionality that it's not, okay? It's not just missions. It's not missions in that we just send other people out to do our work, okay? Uh, Whether it's our dollars or not and our concern for it, this is not something that we do in terms of sending others. This is something that we are, okay? Keep going. This is not just evangelism. Um, trying to help people see who Jesus is and convert them from their own personal salvation. Is that part of it? Of course that's part of it, a huge part of it. But it is more than that in that we are trying to bring the kingdom and God's impact and influence into our world. Next, this is not just social justice. And right now, there's a lot of people who are trying to be missional, but they're very oriented toward just having this be social justice, uh, which doesn't complete the picture of what God's trying to do with his creation. God wants to create or wants to do something with his creation where his presence and impact is known, but he, he wants to be part of all of this, not just ourselves doing some social justice, which anybody can do, whether God's part of it or not. This is not just community outreach programs. Um, and sometimes that's what we do. We think, well, the way that we'll do this is by formulating programs. Again, it's not our programs, it's our ethos. It's who we ourselves are where we have an attitude and ethos of missionality, not just formulating programs that allow us to reach out. Next. It's not just attractional ministry. With an attraction ministry, you say to people, here we are, we're wonderful, or we're doing, some, we're doing something great that will stimulate you, come and join us. It's not that, because the very notion of mission is to be sent and to go out. Next. And this is not the church asking about what we can do or initiate. And the reason for that is because we are instead doing what God has initiated. We want to ask the question, what is God doing? And how can we participate in what God is doing as this missional God? He's already initiated something with Jesus. He's already doing something in our world. He's on a mission and he's on track. He's working to do this. He's not just sitting back and waiting for us to do something. He's already on task. How is it that we're going to participate in what God is already doing in our world? Which means that we have to have eyes wide open for how God is working around us, opportunities that he's bringing to us in which we can participate. All right, next slide. Let me define this a little bit more, maybe in a different way. This is an attitude and lifestyle of engagement in the life of your community, relationally conveying the light and hope of Christ and his kingdom by living in and with your community where you live life among them with kingdom intentionality, compassion, love, service, and the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. Now you'll notice that this is not a program. This is not a community outreach effort. Instead, this is Christians being who they are and being who they are in their community where we simply live out life with others 
in response to what God is doing, bringing his kingdom into our world through our living realities. We, again, we don't have a program. This is not an evangelistic effort that we plan for. This is simply you going and me going into our world and being there among people and being Christ for them. And in the course of that, we take the kingdom with ourselves. It is also a focusing on what God is doing around us, asking him to incorporate us into his activity, and then entering into what he shows us with a single-minded God dependency and openness to the activity of the Holy Spirit. And I think there are some key words there. Things like single-minded God dependency and openness to the activity of the Holy Spirit and being incorporated into his activity, focusing on what God is doing around us. And again, that's not a program. That's not a plan. That's not sending everybody out with some kind of effort here Uh, a focused effort or a focused ministry or something by which we do this. This is instead you and I going into the world and being this before people. And when we go into the world and are before people doing this, I think we are then carrying out God's mission. We're being like little Christs and little spirits, of course, who, who are living within us going into our communities and living this way. And it, 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 in fact, changes everything, I think, when that is our intention and focus. Okay, then, is this the last slide? It requires leaders in our churches not just understanding what it means to be missional, but being willing to disciple into those whom they are equipping, as in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, a missional perspective and a missionally active lifestyle of kingdom living. And so, again, we have been focusing on our church now for the last year. It's been a year where we have been focusing a great deal on discipleship, where we've had a whole group of leaders who have discipled one another and then are going about discipling others. And this task of discipling others for specifically this purpose has more potential, I think, for us to change the world on God's behalf than anything else. So the church sometimes has made a mistake. Sometimes we've asked people to get saved. And then they get saved and they come in and they participate in worship or they serve in various ways. But the whole emphasis on what they were doing was on their getting saved when really it seems as though instead of God being just concerned that you are saved or that I'm saved and that other individuals get saved, that he wants the influence of his kingdom to be brought in by us and has given us this mission, which is really his mission, in which we participate. And this needs to come to characterize our church so that when we think of who we are, instead of thinking of ourselves as the saved ones or as the church that has tried to restore the truth or the church that tries to go back and even involve all the the rest of the churches in one 
common plea and unify us all, which has been a certain, uh, a huge element in churches of Christ, instead of all those things characterizing who we are, I wonder if the notion of being missional shouldn't be like the dominant theme among us. Now, by the way, one of the groups in town that I've been really struck with in recent years is the Missionary Alliance. You know, they have massive churches in Calgary. I, you know, I don't know what it was like 50 years ago, but now there's churches of several thousands, and there are several of these churches in town. And when I asked the question about, like, who are they? Like, why, are, why is this possible among them? I think that a lot of it has to do with this. That they actually see this as being their ethos. Who are we? We are, first of all, a missional people. And I think that helps them succeed uh, at what they're doing. Steve? Right. Uh, I'm, that's a good way to say it. Yeah, it is a great image. Yeah, little snippets of ice cream bringing in little taste. So what the kingdom is going to be like or impacting their, 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 their everyday lives. Yes. And when we do that, when we provide people with those little tastes of what the kingdom can be, when that becomes kind of our, our focus, all of a sudden, we give those people an opportunity to see their lives in this life drastically changed. All of a sudden, people can become different because we're focusing on bringing the kingdom and all its influence into their lives. Not just trying to get them out of this world into heaven, which we sometimes have focused on, but instead seeing the real transformation take place because we're bringing the kingdom into this world uh, through God sending us to do so. And I think that's so much of what missional is all about. But But it can't be an evangelistic program um, it can't be just sending four missionaries, those kind of things. It instead is when human, when when Christians, individuals decide, this is who I am. This is my ethos. I'm this one who is sent by God into our world to bring the presence of his kingdom. Okay, we're gonna talk about more of that over the next few weeks uh, as we round out this time of Bible study between now and June 10th, I think it is, is our last Sunday. Okay, thanks everybody.